With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Looking to throw over the middle and into the end zone. Touchdown, Arizona State. We support each other's uh, teams of the year, but during this game, all bets are off. That was all Eden Slovis. Wow, what a play by him. One man to beat, 15-10-5, touchdown, a new NCAA record, Dante Pettis. Washington State has found a way to move the ball. It's incredible what we're seeing here in Pullman tonight. Touchdown, Oregon. They fake the handoff. Justin Herbert delivers a dart. I went to HR several times about how the Duck fans treat me. Touchdown, Utah. I mean, this is the Pac-12 we're talking about. Welcome to the very first Hack Rap Podcast. It's great to finally be on air. This is Jordan Brenner talking. Jonathan Rifkind is here with me. Jonathan, it took a lot of hard work to get here. Uh, A lot of people (laughs) helped us on the way, but we're here. We're talking football. Uh, It's going to be a tough show today uh, because that's that's the reality of college football uh, right now. So here's the plan for this podcast, Jonathan. Uh, we're going to talk about Pac-12 football. We're going to dabble in other areas of the Pac-12. And ultimately, we're going to give this conference the credit it deserves. Now, that that's going to go both ways here. Uh, we're going to be critical at times. You'll find that today. Uh, and we're also going to speak the truth here because there are certainly moments, and far too many of them, where Pac-12 teams don't get the respect that they deserve. We're not talking about the SEC here. Nobody's pretending we're talking about the SEC. The Pac-12 is not the SEC. Statistics prove that. Right now, the Pac-12 isn't the Big Ten, especially with the top-tier teams. uh, The Pac-12 doesn't produce uh, that top-tier elite championship-caliber talent, maybe soon. But other than that, if we're talking about the depth of the conference, I'd say the Pac-12 is right there with the other Power Five schools. So once again, we're going to give this conference the respect it deserves. Now, before we get into the meat of today's discussion, which is going to be a lot about a big article written today by John Canzano in The Oregonian, one of the most well-respected Pac-12 journalists in on the West Coast, a terrific article. We'll get into that. A little bit about me and then a little bit about you, Jonathan. So I'm a senior at the University of Oregon going into my senior year. I am the director of the student radio station at Oregon, which means I get to, and let me emphasize get to, 
I'm very fortunate that I get to call Oregon football games. Uh, this past year, I was the color guy for the Rose Bowl champions, was there for every game except the ones Oregon lost. So not there for Auburn, not there for Arizona State. That's a story for another time. Both uh, both interesting. Uh, I've covered the Pac-12 in Oregon since my freshman year. Uh, I've been following the Pac-12, I'd say, since about 2003, during the Aaron Rodgers, Marshawn Lynch era at California under Jeff Tepfert. So I, I've seen this for quite a while. You've seen it for quite a while. And uh, we're going to call it how it is. Jonathan, a few words about you. We Our relationship goes back a little while. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Jordan. Yeah, you and I have been on the air now. I guess this would be our third year going into our fourth year together. So Jordan was an undiscovered little freshman dweeb at the University of Oregon. I was this big, mighty senior. No, I was not mighty or <laughs> big and mighty, all, but <laughs> more like small and unintimidating. Um, no, but but Jordan and I, you know, we we connected. I was working for a summer collegiate baseball team at the time, brought him on. And from then on, we sort of cultivated this relationship. Um, I also graduated from the University of Oregon. So two of the three hosts currently on this show and actually 100 percent of the live hosts are from the University of Oregon, which uh, you could be a little concerned about, but let me assure you, I have been accused of having a USC bias as an Oregon alum. For the last year, I hosted Believe in the Pac-12, a Pac-12 podcast with Ryan Leaf. I got accused of being a Utah fan. I got accused of being an Arizona State fan. You'll probably accuse me of being an Arizona State fan because as we will learn in this over the course of this journey together on the Pac Wrap. I'm going to love Arizona State right now, um, and so we'll talk about that. But yeah, I've been covering the conference for five plus years, like Jordan has said, actually six years now. Uh, I've done the whole podcast thing. I have my own recruiting show that will be airing on Tuesday as well here on the Landry Football Network. So yeah, I mean, it's been a lot. It's been a lot of work, and it all sort of, like you said, Jordan, consolidates into this show where we can bring it all together. We're going to get on guests. We're going to have really fun conversations, really pressing conversations. Um, and as you open the show with Jordan, we're going to be honest. This conference is not perfect. We know that. But it also does not get an ounce of the credit maybe it deserves, especially from our friends down south. So we'll definitely have some guests on from down um, in the SEC land to talk about their perception of this conference as well. So looking forward to everything that the Pack Rap brings. So let's frame our discussion today around this. A couple big time articles today. Or this week, I should say. John Gonzano, like I mentioned, from the Oregonian. John Wilner from Mercury News. Uh, one of the best to do it as well in this conference. Uh, detailing the reality that we see Pac-12 football in the fall. So let's start with this. We'll start with John Gonzano. Basically, the crux of this article details that in the 2018 season, the Pac-12, in a murky financial situation, which is... Pretty well publicized, I might add, and intensified uh, the last few months due to this pandemic we're going through. The article talks about how the Pac-12 conference funneled about $100,000 to the Los Angeles Times in an effort to get back positive coverage of their uh, Olympic sports. All right, hundred grand. Ultimately, Jonathan... This is not a lot of money when we're talking about college football. When we're talking about NC2A athletics, we're talking about a multi-billion 
dollar operation across college sports. That's a penny. But this is still an important story. $100,000 is not a lot. But ultimately, what this says is that in murky financial waters, in a position where the conference does not have the cash flow it needs, this conference is willing to engage in unethical uh, practices, I should say, uh, to enhance their image, whatever that is, right? I, I, I'm a student at the University of Oregon's journalism school. You graduated, Jonathan. Funneling <laughs> money for biased coverage, that's like, what is that? What day of the SOJC Whoa. did you hear something like that? That's unethical. No, I, I don't think it's it's fair to debate that that was unethical practice from both the Pac-12 and the Los Angeles Times. And I think it's especially relevant now as the conference debates week by week. They're probably having these conversations multiple times a day, whether to come back in a financial situation that is sticky. The Pac-12 conference, there is evidence of this, has gone outside of your normal ethical code to rebound some of that profit. And when you're debating whether to come back for sports, Jonathan, is there a precedent here? I I think it's an interesting question, Jordan. Uh, First of all, I don't want to take out or dis... I don't want to give no credit to the fact that colleges themselves cheat, right? They bring in players, they pay them, they give them endorsement opportunities, they make them sign with agents or assure these agencies that they will sign with their agents once they go to the next level. It's not like colleges and institutions themselves haven't been cheating since the since the beginning of this has all been happening, right? So now that it's matriculated into media coverage, you have to be concerned. I mean, you should be concerned anyways, but you should be more concerned. Why? Because now the narrative is not only being funneled by the schools who can afford to bring in top talents under the table, like we've like we're learning with Kansas and with Duke, um, with all these, with all you know, Zion Williamson, all the numbers all coming out, right? Yeah, schools can get away with it, and they're controlling the narrative of of performance for their school. Now you take that and you couple it with the conference trying to funnel the a positive spin per se, maybe not necessarily the most honest spin for all of their schools and some schools who may or may not be doing things under the radar. Who knows? It, it's a bad look. Um, and USC is already under scrutiny for some basketball scholarships that they have been handing out. Of course, they had an assistant coach who was in contact with some recruits. Not a good look for the program, not a good look for the conference. Oregon has been named in a handful of investigations. UCLA has been named in a handful of investigations. So the conference itself, the institutions that have been sort of using this platform of let's go under the radar and try to control our narrative by bringing in players that are, you know, are out with means outside the rules – that was already there. So now the conference has to deal with another image crisis, and that's the fact that the overarching hierarchy of all of these institutions is trying to further a positive narrative that may or may not be correct. Um, regardless if you agree with how the narrative is being perceived, the way that it is going about $100,000 to the LA Times, the largest cover, the largest newspaper in the market, and the largest cover opportunity for the Pac-12 to get content out, it's wrong. So, Jonathan, I want to move over to this John Wilner article. 
came out this week. I don't remember what day, but I mentioned this article because I think it kind of furthers the narrative that I was alluding to in, in what I was just talking about, which is that the PAC 12 conference in their murky financial waters may make certain decisions that are in the, the best interest of those ramifications for the conference, as opposed to perhaps the best interests of student athletes, which is debate number one, when you're talking about college football, right? These are amateurs. They're not getting paid. We've already seen how delicate non-bubble sports are in American society. Look at Major League Baseball, which is operating, I'd say, in a similar way to how college football would have to operate in the fall. Not a week into the season, they have a cluster of cases with the Miami Marlins. And all of a sudden, the season is on a boat rocking and up in the air, to say the least. They're still playing, though. John Wilner points out, Larry Scott's perspective and his official statement early on in this pandemic. And basically the crux of this is uh, if the students are not on campus, I can't see student athletes uh, being able to return to play. So he's not following this statement, right? And uh, pay attention to the language of these statements because they're keeping the door cracked open for certain things, and I don't think you can necessarily blame them for that. But that message was clear. What's happened since? USC has recommended students go online. Uh, same with Cal, same with Washington State. Uh, Washington State said all courses will be taught at a distance. Cal said fully remote for the fall. So if you're connecting the two dots between the course of action in the recent weeks taken by universities. And we're going to see more universities take these steps, no doubt, in the coming weeks with the reality we're currently in. With those, it, it doesn't line up exactly with what Larry Scott said. But here's the caveat. And again, this comes back to my language point in these statements, Jonathan, where these campuses are not going to be fully shut down. Instruction is going to be remote. There is not one Pac-12 school to date to completely close down the campus. When that day comes, and you know what? My personal opinion, I think it probably will come. I hope it doesn't. Of course I don't. I want to see Pac-12 football being played in the fall. Once that day comes the language of these statements, they're not going to have a caveat. Larry Scott will have to hold true to that initial statement he made early on in this pandemic that if universities are closed, student athletes can't be playing football. Because again, if you're saying faculty, staff, normal students, it's not safe for you. How is it fair if you're not paying athletes, giving them a financial incentive to say, we need you back on campus. Jonathan, what do you think about that? Well, I want to take it a step further. Um, you're, you hit the nail on the head, right? There, if there are not students on a campus, you're not going to have sports. You're not going to have revenue sports. Um, but you have to think about, okay, let's say USC decides to put football, to have football on campus. Private schools are at a bit of an advantage 
versus public schools because of how funding works, because of how their oversight is. Um, so let's say the boosters and the, the board of directors for athletics clears the University of Southern California to have football in the fall with no students on campus because they are online for educational purposes. What would have to happen is you would have to create a little bubble for those students on campus, which means you would have to bring in extra resources. You would have to bring in dining hall staff. You would have to bring in maintenance staff. You would have to bring in housekeeping. You would have to make sure that all of these athletes that you have are serviced, which sort of disrupts the point of it all, right? The point is to keep it safe. The point is to make sure that you're limiting the margin of error for people getting it. But unfortunately, having students on or athletes on campus, the matriculation of that is that there are going to be more people on campus. A great example of this, and, and don't ask me how I know this, but the university or Cal Poly Slow, San Luis Obispo, one of the best engineering schools in the nation and, and botanist programs, had a rare plant on their campus three weeks ago, a newly discovered rare plant. I have no idea what the, the crux of this is. 3,000 people came to campus to see this rare plant. And Slow said, okay, we have to shut down our labs now because we don't know where these people have been. We weren't able to test all of them. Even though the students that were on campus working in the labs were able, were supposed to be there, they had to all leave for 14 days because they had no idea whether or not these people had coronavirus. That's the same exact thing that'll happen with these athletes. These athletes will be allowed to be on campus, but more and more people are gonna need to be available at the disposal of these athletes to service them properly. And I don't know if you can trust a freshman making burritos at the dorm for a football player to abide by the protocols of not going out, of not – think about it this way. Rutgers football. Rutgers football just had an outbreak of coronavirus because they had a party two days ago. They're, they were told not to go party. Are you really going to trust a, a bunch of college students who feel like they're having their college experience stripped away from them to follow every single – uh, precaution in place for coronavirus? The answer is no. The answer is you can't. Maybe the athletes, but not the non-athletes, not the ones that you bring in to service these players. So it, 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 there's too much of a margin of error. I don't see it happening. And for Pac-12 purposes, if you, if you, you know, you're the, the cold schools, playing football in, in February is not what you want to do. But if you're the LA schools, if heck, you're, even if you're Oregon, it's not the worst case scenario. Uh, you can work with that. So I don't think there'll be football in the fall. What Wilner said was perfect. And Larry Scott, he has to abide by what he said, but the schools themselves aren't going to want to deal with the, what ends up becoming a rigmarole, having to create a little bubble for athletes on campus. Yeah. And Jonathan, you bring up, you know, the negative aspect, I guess, of the decisions students will make, you know, get one experience in college. They're going to be parties, all that stuff. Even if you're an athlete who is trying to, you know, build their career, make the NFL stand out, they've been working their whole lives to this. If they're put in a position where they're able to play, right, you know, th that kid is trying to build their future. They're trying to make money for themselves and their family for the rest of their lives. If the option's there, they're going to go ahead and do it. So it really has to be on the decision makers, on the leaders to put these athletes athletes in a position where their only decision is the safest one for them. Uh, and and that's, a, that's a harsh reality discussion that the leaders of this conference are going to have to make. But let's take a quick break and talk a little bit about LandryFootball.com. For the love of the game, from a football 
from a coaching, scouting, administrative perspective, you're going to want to go to LandryFootball.com today. High school, college, NFL recruiting, that's Jonathan's area of expertise. NFL draft, free agency, everything. Uh, pre-game, post-game, film analysis, Landry Football has it all. Uh, you can find all of our podcasts on LandryFootball.com. And you can find this podcast wherever you, you want to listen to your podcasts. Again, everything from high school, college, recruiting, fantasy shows. There's something for every football fan on LandryFootball.com. And you can check Pack Rap out every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock approximately to hear our voices. And again, in podcast form on LandryFootball.com or wherever you find your podcasts. Let's uh, transition to a more delicate discussion. And we have our good friend Brad Restituto joining us on the program now for the final few minutes. Let's talk about the position that matters in the Pac-12. And if we do see a season, whether it's in the fall or the spring, the position that's going to dictate who's a contender and who's a pretender. That's a quarterback position. And this upcoming season in particular for the Pac-12 is fascinating because there are so many jobs to be had in the Pac-12. The best returning quarterbacks, I'd say pretty unanimously, if not, it's awfully close, Keaton Slovis and JT Daniels, they're going to be sophomores. So this won't be their last season in college, no matter what. This is a fascinating year. Uh, Brad, let me start with you. What quarterback excite you excites you most in the Pac-12 conference, whether it's a newcomer, uh, maybe a Tyler Shuck from Oregon, maybe uh, one of the more veteran guys from the group, a Chase Garbers at Cal, or is it one of those young guys I mentioned, uh, JT Daniels from Arizona State or Keaton Slovis from USC? Yeah, you mentioned it, a big overhaul of the quarterback position as a whole in the conference, really four true returning starters if you wanted to include. Uh, K.J. Costello was really the starter for – Stanford last year for the most part when he was available. But uh, to answer your question, I like J.D. Daniels over in Arizona State. I, I think he's a dual-threat quarterback. Uh, Coach Herm Edwards thinks pretty highly of him at Arizona State. Uh, they lost Brandon Ayuk in the draft, but I, I think Herm Edwards top five in recruiting in the conference. So he's a guy that I'm going to be looking at to really, really lead the reins as far as that position goes in the conference. And Jonathan, let me uh, let me get to you here. So you uh, you hailed yourself as the Arizona State guy here on this podcast. Do you agree <laughs> with Brad? You know, one thing I'll say about JT Daniels in terms of marriage between recruiting, head coach, football culture, building a program around a player. I think Arizona State uh, lines up more than any other Pac-12 school in all those areas. Yeah, Arizona State set to win. I said this yesterday. I was in the RU Series show uh, with, with Blake uh, Rafino here on the Landry Football Network and also all over the Louisiana area. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and we talked about this, actually. We talked about uh, Arizona State, and I said, this is my concern because somebody on Facebook asked me, is Oregon the, a title contender, and are they going to win the Pac-12 championship? Well, first of all, if they win the Pac-12 championship, inherently it'd probably be a, in, at least in the conversation. Um, but that's not the point. The point is, is that I believe that Oregon's biggest foe and biggest threat 
to the Pac-12 championship, to any sort of contention, is Arizona State. We saw it last year. Yes, they came to Eugene. Yes, they tore it up on the gridiron. Brandon Ayuka was insane that game. But the thing about Jaden Daniels is that he has this ability. You mentioned he's a dual-threat quarterback, Brad. But the great thing about Jaden Daniels is that he knows how to turn on as a pro-style guy, right? They built this offensive line around him. An offensive line that you don't see outside of Oregon in the Pac-12. USC sort of used to have these big bodies, but what Arizona State has been able to do is cultivate a recruiting landscape for the offensive line out of the South, out of Southern California, out of Iowa, which has a lot of big, able body guys. And it has built them a little nice half circle around Jaden Daniels. So he doesn't have to worry too much about that dual threat action because he does have protection, but it is a secondary option for him should the pocket collapse and they need playmaking to happen. Uh, you mentioned recruiting, Jordan. Johnny Wilson the third, great recruit out of Calabasas High School here in North Los Angeles. And for those who don't know, Johnny Wilson was committed to Oregon up until the last week of signing, flipped it down uh, because they lost Marcus Royal to UNLV. He flipped his commitment to Arizona State. He's playing alongside Chad Johnson Jr., also from the greater Los Angeles area, a five-star wide receiver out of Cathedral High School. So you have Chad Ochocinco 2.0. You have Johnny Wilson III, a top five national recruit at wide receiver. And you have a quarterback who has proven himself as one of the elite freshmen in the nation and who will probably be a Heisman contender, not this season, but the following season should all the pieces come into play. So, yes, Arizona State, for me, is in the best position at the quarterback slot. And I think that they are a very well-rounded team right now with the returners and the replacement of Johnny Wilson uh, with the loss of Brandon Ayuk. Shouldn't, we shouldn't see too much of a dip in, in production on that end as well. Now let's talk a little bit about Keaton Slovis at USC. If you're looking at a pro prospect down the line, I actually think Keaton Slovis might be your guy in the Pac-12 over a JT Daniels. Uh, sure, he loses Michael Pittman in All-America, uh, Bolitnikoff caliber receiver. Uh, he's still got weapons. Year two with Graham Howell at USC. And, you know, I, I was at that USC-Oregon game last year, right? And it was clear USC during that game did not have the depth in the backfield. Their defense wasn't up to snuff to keep up with the Ducks that game. But if you remember that first drive that USC had in that game, Keaton Slovis pretty much did it himself. There was this uh, the touchdown throw he had on that drive. I mean, he he was juking Kayvon Thibodeau in the backfield. He was running all over the uh, all over the field. This is another dual threat quarterback. Probably not to the level of JT Daniels, but the arm talent that Keaton Slovis has, the fact that he's with an offensive coordinator, uh, Graham Harrell, uh, rather, uh, is his name. All those factors thrown to great receivers. I think Keaton Slovis, you know, some people are talking Heisman. I'm not there yet, but I mean, this is a top tier one caliber quarterback for USC. And you know, with all the negative energy headed towards Clay Helton, he's got somebody to build around, and he has somebody who's going to move the sticks against probably 99.9% .9 of defenses in college football. Yeah, Keaton, Keaton's the smartest quarterback in, in the Pac-12, and you're going to see a guy um, here coming up soon, Ethan, Garb Ethan Garbers, excuse me, the brother of Chase Garbers out of Cal. He's going to Washington as a four-star quarterback uh, who may end up taking that uh, that title away from Slovis down the road. But for right now, I think Keaton Slovis is the most intelligent pocket passer 
in the Pac-12. What makes me say that? Well, number one, he came under Kurt Warner, who was his offensive coordinator at Desert Mountain High School in Arizona. He was only a three-star. Why? Because typically he was actually a pro-style coming up. He was a pro-style quarterback in high school. Pro-style quarterbacks don't get, get as much love as dual-threat quarterbacks because that's the direction that programs are going and recruiting is taking place. USC's an air raid offense now, though. That's what they've. That's what T. Martin has has initiated as their style of offense, and that's not typical for USC. We saw a little bit of it last year. They went to hybrid West Coast offense when JT Daniels went down in the first game against Fresno State, and they brought in Keaton Slovis. And then against Stanford, two weeks later, they decided, you know what? Let's just unload this guy. Let's let him throw 50-plus passes. Let's see what happens. And they absolutely destroyed what eventually ended up being a bad Stanford team, but they were ranked at the time in Keaton Slovis' second-ever game and the most important game of his young career. So, yes, this guy is intelligent. This guy has Almond Ross St. Brown, Tyler Vaughn still around him. Vaughn's, by the way, might end up being one of the best receivers in the nation. Don't at me. on. Actually, you can at me on that. Um, but I, I, I think Slovis... Jaden Daniels is in the best position long-term. Keaton Slovis might be the best quarterback in the short-term because of how USC offensively looks. USC on defense is a disaster, though. We'll get into that in a different time. I think Slovis could be the most important player in the conference also. I mean, you're talking about a program in USC who's uh, for many decades been the face of the Pac-12 conference. So it's really important to see USC as a program really play well and do well. Uh, to get the Pac-12 back in the conversation as one of the talked about and successful conferences in the nation. And I think it starts at that position. Uh, it's a position at USC. Uh, we've seen first-round pick Matt Leinert, uh, Carson Palmer, Heisman Trophy winner. So this guy is a true sophomore. Uh, really has an important role not only for the coaching staff to stick around, but for this conference to really get back uh, in the limelight. So I think it's important for Slovis uh, to do that with this this team, young quarterback, uh, a guy you mentioned, St. Brown, still a weapon, and there's a lot of a lot of expectations for him and for this program. But I think it's something he could step up to the challenge and do. And I think there's a potential there for USC and Slovis to be successful. We'll just have to wait and see if him in combination with Graham Harrell and Clay Hilton at the head coach position is enough to put USC back on the map and this conference to be one of the premier uh, programs and conferences in the nation. We got familiar faces in this conference, too. Uh, of course, Chase Garber's at Cal, played seven games, started seven games, won all seven of those games. And with Justin Wilcox as the creative defensive head coach, he'll blitz from anywhere. Uh, that's another dangerous sleeper pick for the North. Dorian Thompson-Robinson at UCLA, highly talented guy, definitely breakout potential. Seen a little bit of Davis Mills at Stanford, but – uh, the last thing I want to touch on with you guys today, and we'll we'll go into a lot more depth as uh, we progress through the summer and plow our way towards the Pac-12 season, the newcomers in the Pac-12, and there are a lot of them. Uh, Tyler Shuck, probably the highest profile newcomer at Oregon just because of the talent he's inherent, inheriting around him. The fact that he spent two years in Justin Herbert's shadow, silently taking notes, uh, but I mean, we got newcomers everywhere, everywhere, Washington, Washington state, what newcomer stands out to you guys? Uh, for me, it's Tyler Shuck with the receivers. He has Johnny Johnson, the third Micah Pittman in his sophomore season was one of the most exciting freshman receivers last year. Jalen red as a slot guy with a nose for the end zone. Uh, I mean, Oregon's loaded. Mario Cristobal coaches the offensive line. And of course, 
the the backfield duo of Travis Dye and C.J. Verdell. I don't think there's going to be that severe drop-off in Oregon's offense from last year to this year. And I think with Tyler Shuck's willingness to run, which we saw in his limited action and in spring games he's played, could we even see Oregon jump on the offensive side of the ball this next year? I think it's at least a possibility. I'm not predicting it. Too many losses on the offensive line. But I think that is possible. And you don't usually say that when you lose a top 10 quarterback in the draft. No, not at all. Um, oh, excuse me. Sorry, my mic was muted. Uh, no, not at all, Jordan. Um, and, and I like that conversation. I think that Tyler Shuck, look, Oregon is, we heard Chris Ball, we saw Chris Ball yesterday say, we're going to have a quarterback battle, but we all know that he means, for the politics of it, there's going to be a quarterback battle. Tyler Shuck is going to be the guy. I want to talk about uh, Tristan Gebbia a little bit. The Gebbia. Jebbia, excuse me, thank you. Voice of Oregon fo- football right there. Like, I mean, he gave Justin Herbert a run for his money in that did. Civil War. He really did. I, I know we're talking about newcomers. Jebbia only played a four games last season, only really started two. I love what they're doing at Oregon State. Jonathan Swift is, I mean, it should be coach of the year. He's not, he won't be ever because Oregon State just isn't the program. They're not the blue blood. Uh, that gets national recognition. But I love what they're doing offensively. I mean, Jake Luton, he turned this guy into an NFL caliber or backup at least. Who knows? But maybe a third, he'll, be, he'll be where Sean Mannion was uh, from Oregon State on the Rams a couple of years ago. But, I mean, this is a program offensively. They have Jamar Jefferson returning. I think that Jebbia is the next man up for them. The offense looks scheme-wise looks way better. Um, yeah, they lose Isaiah Hodges. But I really like to see what – or looking forward to see what Jebby has in store for Oregon State. They have another guy. His name is Ben Goldbranson. He's going to be a freshman. He might redshirt, but if he doesn't, he's a heck of a quarterback, a three-star out from out here in, in Southern California as well. Um, but, yeah, give me Jebbia. I want to see how they adjust without Isaiah Hodgins, that wide receiver. I want to see how they adjust without Luton running around outside of the pocket because that guy got sacked more than any other quarterback in the Pac-12. Um, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see Oregon State's offense evolve more and more. I know not a lot of Oregon people want to hear that, but it's it's a it's it's the truth, right? Oregon State is now on the rise, at least offensively, uh, and I think that they're going to pose some problems. And, and Jebbia should be at the forefront of that. I'm really looking at the quarterback position at Utah, uh, taking over for Tyler Huntley, Cam Rising, Jake Bentley, and head coach Kyle Whittingham. I think he's got this team competing for a conference title year in and year out with Oregon. And I think following that position in this program as a whole, I think the coaching staff really puts their players in position to be really successful. So I think from top to bottom in the conference, I'm looking uh, at that position with this coaching staff and that program to really take another step forward and uh, compete with Oregon for the maybe and possibly USC for the top spot in the Pac-12 conference. Well, all right, guys, that was a very fun first show. A little bit rocky, but overall, I think uh, we got it done. We touched on what we needed to, and we're going to be back on Tuesday. But first, make sure that you're getting this podcast on your mobile device. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe by signing up for Landry Football's conference call, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public. You can also watch this podcast Every Tuesday and Thursday on Twitch, 11 to 12 on the Pacific uh, time zone. But, guys, thank you so much for joining me for this very first show. The Pack Rap Podcast will be back Tuesday at 11 a.m. Jordan Brenner signing off. Jonathan Rifkin, Brad Restituto, thank you so much. We'll be back soon.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.